Amen. Lena, are you getting me okay up there? Okay, just want to make sure everyone can hear me okay. You don't think it's on. Can you guys hear me okay? I guess I'm being loud enough that you hear me there. Okay, you probably hear me better now, hopefully. Sorry about that, Lena. All right. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want everybody to turn to the book of First Jedediah. Okay, good. I was hoping I would get some funny looks here, okay? Because Jedediah is not in the Bible. So if you didn't know that, it doesn't exist. However, however, this phrase that I'm about to tell you is something that we have often heard before, right? God helps those who help themselves. Raise your hand if you've heard someone say that to you at one point or another. What are some other sayings that we oftentimes have heard in our lives before? I'm going to go ahead and show you a, 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 a kind of fill-in-the-blanks of sorts of different things that, that we've said um, or that at least our society in some ways knows, especially as Christians, that we could probably fill in the blanks with. Now let's see if you know what the first one is. Take a guess if you know it. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Let's see if you know the next one. So I'm going to read it out and just say the blank as I get there. God works in mysterious ways. Okay, here's the next one. When God closes the door, he opens a another window. There we go. Love the sinner, but hate the... Heaven needed another angel. Um, here's a fun one that I think might just be the truest of them all. Happy wife, happy... If you're married, you've hopefully applied this well, right? <laughs> now here's one that I kind of hate. Follow your... I hate that one because in Jeremiah 17.9, it literally says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But yet we have this saying. See, the reason why I'm mentioning this to you is because there's a lot of phrases, there's a lot of ideas that we kind of hold on to, and without realizing it sometimes, we allow those ideas to influence and inform our beliefs. There's probably a time in your life, right, where someone tried to help encourage you and maybe help guide you along the way, and they probably told you, remember that God helps those who help themselves. If you didn't know this, 82% of the population, according to a survey done by Barna, 82% actually believe that that statement is in the Bible, if you type on Google, God helps those who help themselves, you'll see Google fill out the rest of that statement as Bible verse. But don't worry, us Christians, we know better, right? And we know that that's not in Scripture, which is why a Barna survey showed that only 81% of your average Christians believe it's true. So we did one percentage point better. But I, I was happy to see that many of you in the church were, were, were on to what I was trying to do. And hopefully you can forgive me 
and trying to deceive you a little bit this morning, but to hopefully make an important point. That sometimes our society, our culture, or even ourselves, we can buy into something and come to accept it when it's not biblical at all. Why do I mention this? And what does this really have to do with? This has to do with a concept that we oftentimes call our worldview. If you didn't know what a worldview is, I'll put a a pastor's definition on the screen for you guys. But a, a worldview is typically a lens through which you see and interpret the world around you. And just kind of to use the phrase itself, it's the way that you view the world. And the way that you view the world is really influenced by the beliefs that you hold. In psychology, they like to say perception is reality. Which means that however, whatever beliefs that you hold on to oftentimes will influence the way that you see the world around you. So as a way of example, what is a popular belief that exists within our culture today? Probably a belief of, of, of you know, you really can't, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Have you, you've probably heard that someone say that before, right? And that belief, what does that mean? That means that you just kind of have to respect people for their differences, but ultimately there is no such thing as an absolute truth. That belief in itself is, in some ways, anti-God. Because God, at least in His Word, teaches us that there is such thing as an absolute truth. So where does this statement of God helps those who help themselves, where did it really originate from? And why is it that so many of us oftentimes believe it and apply it? Well, this concept of God helps those who help themselves is what it's really trying to say is that God does not intervene in your life unless you are willing to do something about it, unless you are willing to try to work hard and fix your life and try to orient and kind of be your own trailblazer, if you will, then God is not going to help you. The closest that we probably have in Scripture to this statement comes from Proverbs 13.4, which says this, A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. That's probably the closest we get to Scripture this statement. Outside of that, this statement most likely came from Benjamin Franklin. You know, that important American in history. And he wrote this in one of his Poor Richard Almanacs. He said, Let us hearken to good advice and something may be done for us. God helps them that help themselves. Why do I bring this up? Well, if you didn't know, Benjamin Franklin wasn't a Christian. He was a deist. And what is a deist? A deist is someone that believes 
in some ways that, that, there, that there is a supreme being out there, or there is a creator, but ultimately that creator does not intervene in human affairs. So is it no surprise that somebody who's a deist, who d- believes that there might be a God, but ultimately God doesn't really try to help us or intervene in our affairs, don't you think that he, it, it makes more sense now to hear a statement like God helps those who help themselves? Absolutely it does. But my fear is, is that without realizing it, we oftentimes will hold on to statements that are not biblical, and in some ways, because of that, it'll do damage to our lives. So, with this series of misquoting God and this idea of looking at different passages of Scripture, here lies a common belief that we oftentimes hold on to that I think has the potential to radically lead us astray. You see, when I read Scripture, I see a different kind of message. I don't see a message where God is saying, well, you know, you just kind of have to figure it out on your own. If anything, I see a message of grace. And that's what I want to talk about today. So instead of looking at that, uh, that phrase of God helps those who help themselves, I want us to focus in on what I think is one of the most powerful verses in all of the New Testament. By the way, this was, if you know Ed Miller, this was Ed Miller's favorite scripture passage. And if you were at his funeral service that I had the opportunity to, to, to speak at, we read this passage. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what is this passage really telling us? Ultimately, what I believe this passage is telling us, it's telling us that Every single thing that we receive, this salvation, this forgiveness that we talk about, that it's not a product of our own doing. In fact, that everything within us couldn't, in some ways, save ourselves, that we are unable to save ourselves, but in fact, the salvation that we receive is what? A gift from God by God grace. This is why in Romans 3, 10 and 11, it says that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Church, we need to understand for ourselves that without God's influence in our lives, we ultimately cannot help ourselves. Amen. It is fully through God's grace that we are able 
to receive righteousness, that we are able to receive forgiveness in our lives, and that there is nobody that exists who could provide that way for themselves. That's a hard thing to hear as Americans, right? Because as Americans, we like to be the kind of person that that pulls ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that's the hero of our own story, that is the underdog of sorts and is able to pave a way of success in proving ourselves to the world. But in reality, the Christian message says that there is really nothing in yourself that is ultimately good, that we all lean towards resisting God and pushing God away. That's hard to accept, but it makes so much sense of why the world is the way that it is and why we see so much pain and suffering. And some people would like to believe that the reason why the world is the way that it is is because we just haven't figured out the right governmental system yet or we haven't figured out the right kind of belief system yet. And some even think that the reason why the world is the way that it is is because religion. When in reality, the world is the way that it is is simply just because we're in it. And broken people break things. And hurting people hurt people. So the reason why I I, I want us to take the time to think about this so intently is so that we can each and each and every single one of us can realize the importance of how much we need to lean on Christ. You know, a scripture verse that you may have read at some point in your life that is kind of a, 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 typical, a, a difficult one to grasp, but I think in some ways sums up the the, the oddity of our struggle in trying to do what's right comes out of Romans 7. And I'm going to read this to you, and I know, I, I know right now that some of you are going to say, my goodness, that was hard to follow, so it's okay. But I'm going to read this to you because I think this sums up our human struggle so often that we have. Romans 7 verse 15 says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. So what is that saying? I, I don't get what I, why I do what I do because oftentimes what I want to do when I see a pathway and I know that that pathway is the right road, I end up choosing a different road. So I do not do what I want to do but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. I think Dr. Seuss probably stole his ideas from these sentences. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin that is living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. I, 
I think what Paul is trying to say here is that without the work of grace in our lives, without Jesus entering into our life and the Holy Spirit making a change in our heart, we end up being captives to our sinful nature. If I were to ask you, has there ever been a time in your life where you know without a shadow of a doubt what God is calling you to do, but for whatever reason, you choose a different path? Well, the reason why you do that is because there's this sinful nature in us that oftentimes is raging war with God and His Spirit and who He's calling each and every single one of us to be. So the idea of God helps those who help themselves is impossible. Why is it impossible? Because none of us can help ourselves. And that's my first point for today, is that we cannot help ourselves. We cannot help ourselves. Every single one of us, without the aid of God, is a slave to our own sin. That means that we cannot gain the strength, the mastery, the ability to overcome whatever vices we struggle with without God. And why so often we see the world continuing to repeat its evil year after year, generation after generation, because as much as we want to see ourselves or our society get better, we ultimately have this sin problem that every single one of us is inherently born with. That wasn't God's intended design. God didn't make us with the sin nature. But ultimately, we all come to a point, right, where we see God's path, but for whatever reason, most likely our pride we decide to, to, to make our own decisions for ourselves and we distrust what God has for us and we end up choosing our own desires. Church, this is so important to know, not just because it means that we're helpless. No, instead it means that, that we need to put our hope in the right thing. You see, if you believe God helps those who help themselves, you're in for a world of hurt and disappointment. Because what's going to happen is, is that you're going to continue to try to figure things out on your own strength. You know, in 2010, I had this amazing opportunity. I got, I got hired on to become a pastoral resident in a program that was one of the best residency internship programs in the country um, for, for people that wanted to go into ministry. And it was a hard decision for me to choose to do this because at the time I was living in Florida and I had gotten a full ride for my undergraduate studies um, for, for my good academics going through high school. 
So I literally had to give up my scholarship in order to go to Georgia, but I felt like the opportunity to study under these people was, was so great that I, I just felt like I couldn't give that up. So in 2000, at the end of 2009, I, I moved out to, to Georgia and in 2010 began working at this church, which was the fastest growing church in the country. And so many exciting things were happening, and we were able to see God move in these powerful ways and in these ministries that were doing amazing things, and the church was exploding, and we were planting everywhere. And I remember just trying my hardest to be a part of the fast-moving train. But I was starting to, in some ways, feel taxed by it all. Because you see, as Christians, and especially as Christians in ministry, there's always something good that we could be doing. You know, so many of you serve this church, and you know that to be true for yourself. You could finish a full good day's worth of work doing things for the ministry and for God, and there's probably a list of 10 or 20 other good things that you could still be doing. Well, I was feeling the weight of trying to keep up with all the good things that could be done, and it was starting to um, cripple me in some ways with the pressure. And I remember one time just kind of being in the hallways, and the, pro, uh, the program director that was over me, he comes and he says, Kevin, you know what your problem is? Which is obviously the best segue to get somebody's attention, Right? You know, of course, I'm all ears after hearing that. You know, we all like to, to hear that sentence, right? You know what your problem is? I remember what he told me, and he said, he said, your problem is, is that you're capable. And I was like, what does that even mean? Is that, is that supposed to be a problem or a compliment? And look, I'm not trying to inflate who I am, because in reality, God has given all of us gifts, right, to be capable of something. But what he was trying to get at in, in, in pointing this out at me was that in my life, at least in that time, I was trying to do ministry on my own strength instead of leaning into the Lord. And I was trying to manipulate and, and, and in some ways create certain results on my own strength instead of just letting the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Because I felt capable to do it. I felt like all that was needed was just my attention to it, my energy to it, my hand on it, and then I can create a certain result. And I didn't understand fully what he was saying, but I understand it now. Is that so many of us, we try to work so hard in our own lives to be able to produce a certain result. Maybe that certain result has to do with our finances, maybe it has to do with our career aspirations, maybe it has to do with our relationship goals, or maybe it just has to do with the way that we believe God is calling us to live. But there's this fine line between being a motivated person who is willing to be used by God and someone who tries to take fate into their own hands. Do you hear what I'm saying here? 
there is a posture that as Christians we need to be able to maintain, and that's a posture of being able to live our lives with hands wide open to the Lord. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that we just need to be lazy and not do anything. I think as we read in Ephesians, right, earlier today, it says what at the end of it? It says that God has, has, has prepared works for us in advance to do. So don't mistake with what I'm saying with, with, with not doing anything at all. There are works that God is calling us to do. But ultimately, the result of those works are not dependent upon ourselves, but dependent upon who? God. And what He has for us. So here is my encouragement for you. Is that you would truly understand what grace really means. If you didn't know, grace in Greek is karasi. That's the word for it. And it means acceptable, benefit, favor, gift. And I think a biblical definition for the word grace, a good one, would be unmerited favor. What does it mean to have unmerited favor? What that means is, is basically having favor that is given to you that is totally undeserved. You don't deserve it, but you get it anyways. You see, we oftentimes know what mercy is because so many of us need to ask for mercy, right? What is mercy? Mercy is when we do something bad and we plead what? For mercy. And, and that is hoping that what we do deserve is withheld from us. So if we commit a crime, maybe, maybe we're, we're, we're traveling too fast and, and a cop pulls us over, we're begging the Lord for mercy. We're begging that in that moment we would be shown mercy because what do we deserve? Well, we'd probably deserve a ticket and we hope that what we deserve is withheld from us. And that's how often we frame our faith is, is just looking at the mercy of God alone. But we need to understand fully the grace of God. The fact that God gives us something that we did not deserve. It would be similar to, to working a job, not being very good at it, but yet still getting the pay raise and the new position. You see, we did not deserve the salvation that we received. We did not deserve the righteousness that God gave us. We did not deserve the forgiveness that God offers us. We did not deserve to be able to go and live in heaven in the near presence of God. We did not deserve any of these things, but yet what happened? God gave it to us anyways. Why is that? Well, because of my second point today. God is the one who saves. See, we are not the one who saves. God is the one who saves. How do I think this can ultimately change the way that you live? Well, I think the way that this can change the way that you live is hopefully you not only look at yourself differently, 
but you could look at other people differently. We live in a time period where people are incredibly quick to criticize and to judge. And people like to say that that is a a problem within the church, and that's why they don't go to church, but in reality, that's a problem everywhere. I mean, it doesn't take much to hear, I mean, you just go online, right? And you hear what? People bashing other people. Just part of the sinful nature. But if you can understand that God doesn't help, that, that you can't, that God doesn't help those who help themselves, that that's not true, then how does that change the way you think? Well, then you realize very quickly that every single one of us, including yourself, is in a position where you ultimately can't help yourself, that you need the grace of God. So when you come, become confronted with somebody who might be living in a situation where they too are saying, I do not understand what I do, or what I want to do, I do not do, then what could you offer that person? You can offer them the reminder of grace, and you could tell that person, I get it. I used to live like that too, but I've humbled myself before the Lord and I've allowed the Lord to come into my life to regenerate who I am and through His grace allow me to be a victor over the things that I used to struggle with. You see, I believe that it is the grace of God that empowers us to be able to live extraordinary lives and to do wonderful things. John Newton, many of you probably know him from being the one that wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, that whether you're a Christian or not, you've probably heard that song, sung that song, and just know that song. Well, John Newton, the author of it, was born in 1725, and Newton was, was really nurtured at a young age by uh, a mother who was a Christian mother and, and would teach him Bible verses. But unfortunately, Newton's mother died while he was seven years old. His mother died of, of tuberculosis, and soon after that, his dad raised him, which had just a total different personality. So Newton just ended up really taking on the personality of his father. And he very, very early and young in his age got into um, sailing and, and being on ships and familiarizing himself with that. So by the age of 11, he was starting to go on his first sea voyage, and it just kind of uh, continued after that and snowballed after that to where he en- entered into the, the British Navy. But you see, Newton had a temper, and he hated uh, discipline, and he was really a rebel of a personality. And he, was, he got so bad in his personality that he was actually a deserter of the Navy to where eventually he got arrested and flogged and, 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 and kind of got to a low point of his life where he had to become a beggar. Well, the opportunity presented himself to enter back into the shipping um, world of things and he got the opportunity to captain a ship. But it wasn't any kind of ship. It was a ship that would travel into the slave slave trades in Africa. So he became a slave trade captain. And after doing that for many years, there was one particular night uh, where he was on a voyage where a storm had hit them hard. And it really shook 
Newton at his core. And it caused him to reflect on a lot of things that he had learned through his life, whether it be by his mother's or, or, or by his mother or just books that he read. And in that moment in the storm, he decided to give his life over to Jesus. Do you think he stopped being a slave trade uh, captain? No, he didn't. He continued in that profession, but by the grace of God, the Lord began to convict him of what he was doing. And he left the slave trade and instead became an abolitionist through the influence of John Wesley and William Wilberforce and fought tirelessly to end the slave trade as well as slavery in Britain. And soon after, we would eventually see through William Wilberforce, three days before dying, slavery completely end in Britain. And it's with that kind of perspective in life that we see this amazing song of amazing grace. And I want to read for you just a statement from John Newton that I like. He says this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But still, I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I read this to you, this quote from him, because I think if we were to say to ourselves, do we need God's grace to work in us anew? Absolutely, yes, we do. And what other better example than someone that was literally stealing the lives of people? If someone like that can encounter grace and so radically change to where they can realize that ultimately it's not them who can help themselves, but it's the grace of God, then how much more should we? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that your grace is something that you give freely to us. That even though it is a free gift, that it was purchased at a high price. That grace came through your son dying on a cross and allowing for his life to be a sacrifice for our own. Father, I do pray that if anybody has been living in a situation, Lord, where they have just been trying to, whether they realize it or not, help their own situation because they feel like that's the only way to get your attention, that they would realize right now that we can't help ourselves and that you are the one that saves. And may through experiencing that and realizing that right now, may all of us just open our lives and open our hands even more to you, realizing that we ultimately need you to lead us, to guide us, and to fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.